We're going to read the Bible now, and you can find today's readings on page 7 and 8 of your zines. Luke 4, 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began, to say, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Galatians 3, 1-14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you, your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name's Craig. I'm uh, the minister here at Garrison, and um, it's also extend my welcome to Paul's earlier on. It's a joy to have you here, and um, a special welcome if it's your first time with us at 4 p.m., and uh, I hope that you find this an encouraging afternoon um, as we are celebrating and exploring Christian faith together. Um, you'll notice that we've been reading through the book of Galatians, which is a New Testament letter, and uh, we're continuing. We've reached chapter 3, and we're just going through the letter in chunks, moving through the whole New Testament book, because we really want to come to understand it. So we're just going chunk by chunk 
And we're going to be reflecting today on that passage that Elise read from Galatians chapter 3 uh, as we move forward understanding this letter. But before we do that, I'm going to say a prayer for us. And um, I always pray before we reflect on God's Word, because one of the things the Bible tells us is that God um, really wants to be known. He is a God who has made himself known, and he wants you to know him Actually, more than that, to love him, to follow him, and to find life in him. And so whenever we come to reflect on the Bible, we always say a prayer that God might help us understand something that maybe we didn't understand before. Um, And we think God works in that sort of way. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to reflect on Galatians 3. Um, Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, we pray now that as we share this time reflecting on your word to us in the Bible, that uh, you might speak to us. Um, Each one of us, maybe something different, um, but whatever it is that we need to hear to be encouraged or challenged, um, please speak that into our lives this afternoon. And uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Um, Amen. Well, I wonder, as we begin, uh, I have a question. I wonder whether you've ever heard of um, the cult of the next best thing. The cult of the next best thing. It's very popular. It's awesome because you don't need to sign up for membership and you aren't even required to attend any meetings. Um, The best thing, uh, the cult of the next best thing is attractively all about experience and stuff and newness. The mantra is, life is good, but it could be better if only you had. The cult has its own litany of sacred words, um, more, you deserve it, new, faster, brighter, now, cleaner, better. Um, I wonder if you're familiar with the cult of the next best thing. What's interesting about this cult is it seems to have been around forever, thousands of years. Um, And uh, you may resonate with it now or have observed it, but it existed back in 48 AD, which is why the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia. 48 AD is the date that this text we're reading was written. But to bring you up to speed, uh, teachers were coming into the very earliest Christian churches And they were saying, we know Jesus, we we believe Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God. And we know his death had a cosmic significance and that he proved his authority by rising from the dead. And while your faith is good, it could be better. It could be better if you just added in these requirements. Faith in Jesus is good, but you need to do a few other things. Now, this is 48 AD, and these teachers had a Jewish heritage. So they demanded that your faith won't be complete in the context of the time unless all the men got circumcised as a sign of their commitment to God and if you continue to observe all the Jewish religious festivals. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've sort of explored why that would be the case. But we can talk more afterwards about that as well if you want. They would say following Jesus is good, but your faith will be more genuine if you, and they give all these other requirements. 
That was the mantra back then. And it's what Paul is referring to in today's passage by the phrase, the works of the law. You'll see that in the Bible passage today, that phrase. Now this phrase, the works of the law, refers to any specific actions that you do with the expectation that such an act will impress God and give you a better chance of going to heaven or being part of his people in the context of 48 AD. And I wonder if you've ever created any works of the law for yourself. Hmm. Paul's point in the opening of this section of Galatians is very simple. It's this, that you finish the Christian journey, you finish the Christian journey the way you start it. And that is through finding freedom through faith in Jesus. Paul writes these words, you would have seen it at the start. He said to the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit from God, by faith in Jesus or by works? Paul is reminding his readers that you don't become a Christian, um, that is you start following Jesus as the Son of God, Saviour, Lord, and then a year or two into that journey sort of go, ah, that's been good, I've sort of had my, scratched my spiritual itch um, it's been nice to kind of have a bit of a spiritual community. Uh, I'm going to hand the, take the reins from God back to me. Thanks, God. You're awesome, but I've got it from here. I've done the whole church thing. I've got it from here. Paul's point in this part of Galatians is, no, you don't have it from here. We continue and finish the Christian journey the way we start it finding freedom through faith in Jesus. Paul writes in this little section, but he's going to write about heaps more in chapter 5, so we're going to come back to it in a few weeks. But he writes a lot about two ways to live our life, the way of the spirit and the way of the flesh. Uh, That is, a life that is humbly led by God's spirit, that we're allowing him to change us, we're listening to God's word, we're responding or a life that is led confidently by our own desires and achievements. You could call the life of the flesh. Um, I reckon for most of us at church today, perhaps all of us, here in Sydney, we're sort of bred to live by the flesh. That is, to live lives that are confidently led by our own desires, our own achievement. And like the Galatians, perhaps we are then tempted to change Christianity, to make it really a celebration of ourselves, our godliness, and our display of good deeds. And you can see where that sometimes happens, where you might see a Christian community that suddenly becomes very self-righteous, and perhaps their faith is no longer in Jesus, but it's in themselves, and it can become very ugly. Did you see how Paul started this section of the letter? He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Now, this word bewitched is literally that. It's the word baskino. It's in classical Greek. Aristotle used this term to mean putting someone under a spell so they could no longer think or act according to reason. Who has bewitched you? These people coming in saying you need Jesus and all this other stuff. When I heard this word bewitched, the first place my mind went to was King Theoden in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've ever read or seen it. 
King Theoden is the good king of Rohan, but the evil sorcerer Saruman has cursed him so that he no longer rules with wisdom and justice and truth, rather he's enslaved, he's like a puppet king for the sorcerer. And King Theoden is affected many ways by this cursing. Uh, In the movie, he's been kind of aged by the curse, he's paled and wrinkled, his ability to speak is restricted. You know there's something wrong with him. And the whole kingdom is ruined by his inability to lead with generosity and decisiveness. This is the state that the Greek word baskino, bewitched, describes. And in The Lord of the Rings, after Gandalf releases King Theoden from his curse, uh, he says, breathe the free air again, my friend. Paul writes, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? When it comes to following Jesus, you finish it the way you start it. So don't allow yourself to be bewitched by any other teaching which says you need to do more than put your faith in what Jesus has done for you in order to come close to God. When, when Christian faith first made real sense to me, I guess you could say when I became a Christian, but I have a hunch I was probably a Christian before that moment, but anyway, it's a hazy thing sometimes for some people. All our stories are different. But when, I, um, when Christian faith first became real for me, it was accompanied by a deep sense of God's grace and mercy towards me. Um, I'd read Romans um, chapter 5, verse 8, and I had this realization that when Jesus died on the cross, um, it was for the sins of the whole world, but it was for me, as well as for you, but this is my story. So I went, wow, God actually has done something for me And it was a deep sense that I really needed God's help. I needed what he had done for me. I needed to trust in it. Now, 25 years later, I've spent lots of time in church and I've done lots of Christian things. Um, I've gone to Bible college and I've read up on like Calvin and Luther and church history and ethics and ancient Greek and read through my Bible and I've served as a, a chaplain telling people about Christian stuff in a big school And all of it's been really awesome stuff. But if I, for a second, if I think my daily walk with Jesus, my faith in God, now needs to graduate from how I first started following Jesus to something else, then I'm as cursed as King Theoden, kind of wrinkled and crippled on his throne. All that my life experience and reading and growing up as a Christian has done has actually just filled in the colors of the original picture I saw 25 years ago. When I started following Jesus for the first time, God's love for me, my need to actually trust in him, that remains the exact same picture. It's actually just got a few more colors in it over the years. Of course, in the cult of the next best thing, finishing the way you start is kind of blasphemy, right? Because it's not edgy or new or immediate. But perhaps a long obedience in the same direction, all built on the grace of God towards us, is exactly that kind of depth and foundation we need. Now you notice in today's text from verse 6 to 9, Paul writes a lot about Abraham and God's promises and faith and law. He uses all these terms. It seems a little confusing when you first read through it. 
But this is a specific response to those who were bewitching the early Christians in 48 AD. They had claimed that we achieve good standing with God through what we do, the works of the law. But Paul's point in verse 6 to 9 is actually that the entire Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, as well as the words of Jesus, have always affirmed that where we stand with God is based on where we place our faith in him or ourselves. So his point here, and there's more behind it, but you don't need to be a blood descendant of Abraham to be part of God's people. Rather, you need to be a person of faith like Abraham. From day dot, God has called us, often broken and clumsy people, to place our faith in his ability to bring about his kingdom and to trust his promises in what he's going to do with our world and our lives. And I think that's Paul's point. You finish the way you start, trusting in God. Now, he kind of pulls all of these little thoughts together um, by introducing to us another key term in Christian faith. You'll see in verse 10, he writes, if you rely on the works of the law, you are under a curse and you're enslaved. But he says, verse 13, Christ, that's Jesus, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, last week at church, we, we explored this term justification that Paul had used in the previous chapter. That's all about being declared not guilty by God. But this week, Paul gives us a new word, redemption. And if justification is a law court word, then redemption is actually uh, a word that existed in the Roman slave markets. To redeem is basically to buy, or probably more effectively, to buy back, uh, whether it's a purchase or a ransom. It's a technical term in the ancient word for the manumission of a slave. Um, in the Old Testament writings, as well as also ancient practice from other parts of the world, people were redeemed from a variety of grave social situations, debt, captivity, slavery, exile, execution. But Jesus and the New Testament take this term and they say, oh, this is a really cool term, but it actually describes something that God wants to do for us. So we're going to use it in a slightly different way. When Jesus started his teaching, he actually went to the Jewish temple, which is the first reading that Elise read for us this afternoon. And Jesus read a passage from the prophet Isaiah foretelling God's promised Messiah or king would set the prisoners free. And then he declared that he, Jesus, was the ultimate fulfillment of this old prophecy. And it's really interesting because in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is recorded as saying, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's the thing, how was Jesus, as the Son of God, going to serve you and I? Well, Jesus goes on to say, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to pay a price to get you and I out of slavery. But of course, the question is, what slavery is he talking about? Because we're all free people. We love our freedom in Sydney. We're so free. So do we still need Jesus? And the answer, I think, is yes. In this passage, Paul keeps using this phrase, the curse of the law. Did you pick that up? He keeps using the phrase, the curse of the law, which on one level is kind of weird because the law that he speaks of is the framework for life that God gives his people in the Old Testament. 
And to be honest, the law of God is awesome. It's really good. Love God. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat on your partner. Don't murder. Honor your parents. Take a day of rest each week. Don't envy the lives of others. Like, there's nothing negative or evil about that list. And so how does that become a curse? Well, it becomes a curse when the law is shifted from the vision of life that God has for you and I, for his people, to the baseline requirement for joining God's people. In verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the Lord are under a curse. You know, it's really interesting when you read the Bible and the things that God calls us to step into, the life to step into, it's, especially Old Testament law, it's almost too good. Like I read it, I see it, I love it, but I can't live it out fully even for a single day. And think about this, when you want to do something but you can't, then what are you experiencing? It's a form of slavery. If I was totally free, then I would love everyone sacrificially. I would give everyone the time they need. I'd never lie, I'd never cheat, I'd never give in to desires that I know are destructive for me. If I was totally free, then I would not only be at every city care lunch, but I would be out every single night sitting with those who live rough in the city. I'd be the perfect husband for my wife. I'd be the perfect son to my parents. Um, but I'm none of these things. Which means I'm not totally free. I'm enslaved to or by something that just keeps driving me inwards rather than outwards. And if I'm ever going to experience change, then I need redemption. That is, I need someone outside of me to buy me out of this slavery and show me something new. And let me read the last two verses from today's passage. Paul writes this. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, that's all very wordy, isn't it? <laughs> but it's good stuff. At the heart of Christian faith is the powerful reality that the God of the universe is actually on your side. He has paid the price to redeem us from our slavery to sin, and then he gives us his spirit who teaches us how to live free. And I choose those words carefully, teaches us. Um, because the curse of the law is that I can't keep it all, and thus I'm kind of condemned by it. So to redeem me from the curse of the law means Jesus has kept it perfectly, he's paid the price to buy me out of the consequence and rule of sin, and I've put my faith in him. That's what a Christian is, someone who follows Jesus and trusts in what he has done for us. And so where do I find myself now um, as the minister here of the church? 
I'm learning to live free. I'm learning to grow into the freedom that God has already won for me. That's what following Jesus is all about. You finish the Christian journey the way you start it. And that is finding freedom through putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And I know personally in the past five years of my faith journey, um, God's Spirit, there's a passage we're going to get to in a few weeks which talks about the fruit of God's Spirit, um, what God is doing in us. I think God's Spirit has grown in me gentleness and kindness and self-control that I haven't had previously as much. There's a freedom there that I didn't have before. Um, but there's still a long way to go. I'm still learning how to continue to, to live free now that... And I wonder, what is God's spirit growing in you? It takes time, right? It's a slow burn. But I wonder what God is doing in you this year and maybe over next year. I wonder in five years' time, you might be able to look back and you say, wow, like I've been following Jesus and I've been trusting his word and... I'm actually now more this than I used to be. That's learning to live free. That's growing up as a Christian. I guess this is why following Jesus removes you from the cult of the next best thing, or at least invites you to leave it behind. Because God's got plans for each one of us. But they are not sexy or fashionable. And they're not even immediate. I mean, sometimes they are, but most of the time they're not. I heard this cool, uh, I was watching an American barbecue show the other day. Just, we all have our things. But um, there's this cool phrase that came out of it, low and slow. Yeah, low and slow. That is, they put this like big thing of pork on these like coal fire at 2 a.m. in the morning and they were cooking it for the next night. And it had this like big, you know, African-American guy going low and slow. And I'm watching it, one, being super hungry, but two, going, yes, that is what it means to grow up as a Christian. It's just low and slow. It's just this slow change of personhood. Now, sometimes we'll face things that change real quick. But often, it's just this slow growing to be more like Jesus. It's a slow growth to be more patient and more kind. And none of that stuff is cool or sexy. But that's the Christian life. And it's really cool because it's real. It's not fake. You finish the Christian journey the way you start it. And that is finding freedom through faith in Jesus. And that's why here at 4 p.m., we're trying to, we are, we're fostering a community that are honest and open and real, because, um, you know, we're low and slow. <laughs> we're slowly being transformed by God's spirit, and we love it, and we're in it for the long haul. And uh, that is what Paul calls our attention to this evening as we reflect on Jesus' work for us. And I want to pray now for us, and um, I want to pray that, I don't know, I don't know each of our stories but just that God might be continuing to be at work in you to bring you closer to him and trust in him. And then after I finish praying for us, we're gonna, we're gonna sing together an old school hymn, kind of low and slow, right? But it's so beautiful, amazing grace. Um, how sweet the sound. So let me pray for us.
Uh, dear Lord and Father, we thank you that you are a God who is active in our world. Uh, you're also active in our lives. You've given us your word. You've shown up in our world in the person of Jesus. Uh, Lord, each one of us have a different experience of um, sin, I guess, um, of things that turn us away from loving you and loving others. Um, but Lord, I thank you that through Jesus, you've, you've brought us out of that. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to help us to learn and grow in how it is to live free. That is to be able to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and how to love others as you would have us do. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll keep changing us and keep growing us in beautiful ways. But above all, I pray each one of us here today that you'll move us closer and deeper in putting our faith in you and what you're doing in our lives and in this world. And uh, we ask this all in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen.